0: Welcome into the Locked on Knicks podcast. My name is Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by Coach Gibson Piper to break down the Miami Heat zone, how the Knicks attacked it in game two, how they can do better, and what adjustments to expect from both teams heading into game three right now on Locked on Knicks.
1: You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. A five. from the left. Yes. Up, up, left. Now fires And Anthony for three. Firing. That one goes to
0: back. puts up a three. Bang. Bang. becomes infectious. You are locked on, Nate's your daily. New York Knicks podcast and I want to thank you for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day because we are now available on all platforms that includes wherever you currently get your podcasts and on YouTube so remember to check us out on YouTube subscribe and hit the notifications bell so you never miss an episode my name is Gavin Shaw I'm your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster and uh, about to be joined by Gibson Piper if you remember we had him on earlier in the year to break down the Knicks defense and what was going right after adding Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes into the rotation now we're going to flip sides. We're going to break down the Miami Heat zone, talk about how the Knicks attacked it, and talk about how they can continue to do better heading into game three right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, as promised, guys, we are joined by the mind behind half-court hoops, uh, Gibson Piper. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Half Court Hoops. Um, he does NBA and NCAA um x's and o's breakdowns um and you can find links to his sub stack where he also does written breakdowns and his youtube where he does video breakdowns um which is where we first had you on last time Gibson to talk about the Knicks half-court defense it, it went bad for a little while then it got really good in the first <laughs> round against the Cavs and a little iffy against the Heat so far but we're back how's
1: it going man how, how you enjoying Knicks Heat as a series so far yeah it's been well it's been a little bit uh a little bit heartbreaking for me because I'm a Cavs fan uh well, so down. yeah it was it was cool to see like the knicks you know kind of be back in in the spotlight and and having success in the playoffs and seeing like the crowd at at the home games and stuff has been really really exciting um and just kind of see these play like like brunson's impact in the playoffs has been really cool and uh and so that's been exciting but uh yeah i've been loving it
0: nice i'm I'm glad we didn't have you on last round it would have been more acrimonious (laughs) now we've gotten any rooting interests off the table um I, I, I guess I wanted to start with game two. What adjustments did you see from the Knicks? I mean, outside of a guy named Jimmy Butler not playing, that allowed them to ultimately win the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's always hard because they like Butler's not playing. Um, yeah. Randall's coming back. And so it was like a little bit of uh, a weirdness overall with everybody. Um, we saw in game one with Embiid out, it just throws a wrinkle into game plans. You don't really know what to expect. Jimmy Butler out, you kind of know more what to expect with the Heat. It's gonna be more, um, finding shooters and send it around bam and and more like five out with their offense. And then they played a heavy zone defense game in game two, which, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about more in depth, but the main adjustment is just kind of, you know, feel out the first half of, of the attention they're giving to Randall, bringing him back. And then how they're playing Brunson without Jimmy Butler, since he was their primary defender with uh, Martin on him in game one, and then kind of just figuring out as the game goes, how to get to your spots against the zone wasn't really too many adjustments as more. It was just like in game flow. How do the players react to these situations with the staff and like after timeout situations. Guys. So, so let's start off with that zone. because that, that fascinated me. And I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, I got, I found the perfect guy to break this down. Um, <laughs> what the Heat try to do with their zone defense? Let's, let's start there. Yeah. So the, their zone defense is a little more unconventional uh, than like a typical two, three, where you'd see in like a college setting, where the two players are normally like at the elbows or a little bit above at the three-point line, more flat. And then the bottom three players a little bit lower, unless you're Syracuse, where they play their wings a little bit more extended. But the Heat, essentially, uh, the top two players are responsible. The first player basically takes the ball. Second player is almost at like the nail free throw line area in the middle. Uh, And then he takes the first pass after that if there's a pass across. And then their wings are a little bit like one step up, So you'd see, uh, instead of it being three flat on the baseline, the two wings basically take one step up or two steps up a little bit higher, and then they keep bam or the center in the middle of the floor to protect the rim and, 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 you know, rebound and things like that. Now, what they do is if, uh, they, they adjust really, really well to what you do. So it's not like a two, three zone. Here's your responsibility. You have to do that every time it's consistently reacting to what the offense is trying to do with either sets or actions against it. And they did like, I was writing in my notes. They did things that like nobody else does. Like I've never, I've never seen uh, the top of the zone do what the Miami heat was doing. So basically how the Knicks were attacking the zone primarily. and, And this was true for most of the regular season. They have one special set that they go against it where they basically try to overload one side of the floor put a player on the wing player in the corner and then flash a player opposite and have like almost four guys attacking two on one side. That's like Mm. the goal. And that's like a classic overload set where you try to basically just outnumber the zone right on one side. And so in the playoffs with the Knicks have been doing a lot more of it because they can't run that set every time they've been trying to essentially ball screen the top of the zone. Right. So in game one, uh, the heat only played seven zone possessions Uh, in heat in game two, they played 62 possessions. (laughs) So like, like they, they ramp that thing up like crazy, especially with Butler being out, it's the best way to, you know, hide the matchups like against a guy like Brunson or Randall, right. Who can kind of one-on-one create their own shot and basically ruin your defensive plan by themselves. So what was happening was they would try to screen. Basically what you do is you try to screen the inside of the top player on the ball. And then when Brunson like comes off to his left, the next guy has to take him Then you're playing two on one on the other side, right? So player on the wing, player in the corner, Brunson comes right off. He just gets it out early and then you can have, you know, two shooters spaced or a quick attack off the slot, basically just create an advantage like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, that's, that makes the most sense. Like that seems the best way to attack it. Well, then what the heat decided to do was to have the player who got screened go under the screen and then switch the other player up top onto the ball and have the player who was originally on the ball just flip-flop, right? right. And it was just like, nobody ever does it. Like, it's just it's yeah. so confusing because nobody ever does it. I've never yeah. really seen anybody do that before. Mm-hmm. Um, So that was, and, and Brunson had some success turning the corner quickly and attacking, you know, before the guy was in the position and everything like that. And, and one-on-one, if he gets like a Gabe Vincent matchup, if they switch it like that. But still, it was just, it, it was very like, uh, like a confusing thing in the moment where you just don't expect that to happen. You expect maybe play quickly and then it's like, Wait a second, I just switched, and then you gotta figure out what to do next. So, yeah,
0: yeah. to me, like it, and, and let me know if you disagree with this, because I, well, I, I'm curious, like, and, and we can talk about this before we finish, like how they'll switch things up when Jimmy Butler's back. But it felt like their answer for Julius Randle's back, which means we can't put Bam on the Knicks center. And then if, if you're running a one five pick and roll, Bams no longer involved in that action, and instead you're getting ideally if you're the Knicks you're getting Kevin Love on an island against Jalen Brunson, and this was the Heat saying like, all right, we're not playing a full game like that. Like e- even if we put a more athletic guy at the four, we still don't really want to play a full game like that. So so let's switch this up. Let's find another way to go about it, and then it, it kind of came down to your points like how quickly Brunson could make a decision. Like, like the shot that gave the Knicks, like what was ultimately their final lead of the game was 96, 96. Like it was just Hartenstein coming up, setting his screen. Brunson went around and got the three off before anyone from Miami could get there. And if you're Miami, like you're kind of taking that bet on Brunson making contested three because before that game, he was at 30 or what was, he was like 30% for the whole playoffs. He was 34% for the whole playoffs and, and just wasn't shooting well at all. Um, I also liked RJ Barrett as a guy, like especially in the first quarter, like twice he got buckets, just like very quickly attacking gaps in it. But how how do you think the Knicks can continue to like, evolve and like find even better ways to go out and like punish the heat. If they're going to do that now that they have a game of film of like exactly how they're operating it. All right, guys, when we come back with Gibson, I want to get into some personnel shifts the Knicks can do to continue to take advantage of Miami's defense. But first for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle, every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay motors with eBay guaranteed fit. You can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right pieces are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Yeah, and they, they did adjust as the game went along. Um, Hartenstein did a really good thing where um, since he knew they, they were switching at the top, he actually just screened the backside of Gabe Vincent one time and they just let, uh, I think it was Brunson just go. Or no, it was, it was quickly. Mm-hmm. He basically just let quickly, because the, the heat defender was expecting the, the screen, he kind of opened up and then quickly just went and Hartenstein screened the back of Vincent. And so it was just like a free lane. So I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. Like that was a good adjustment, kind of like a, a fun ball screening angle in the moment. And th- so what they'll try to do is basically just change the angle of the ball screen to make it a little bit easier. So if they're expecting the ball screen to go to the left, they just flip it to the right real quick. Um, you, I would probably expect to see more like double ball screen action, um, I did a breakdown in the middle of the season about the Cavs versus the Heat zone, about how the Cavs were double ball screening it really well, and then the Heat made an in-game adjustment as well and tweaked it. So it was kind of like a a little mini chess match in, in one quarter. So that can work where if you set like a double ball screen and have the second player roll into like the high post, a so little like flash action. But uh, the the hardest part about the Heat zone and going against it in particular is. Number one, their staff and Sposter also are so freaking smart. Like they just like have usually have a counter or a tweak for everything you try and do. Like mm-hmm. in the uh, I think later in the fourth quarter, the Knicks went to more empty ball screen action where they try to screen one side and then play basically three on two on the other side. Kind of like we talked about creating that, that numbers game on that one side. And the Heat were like, "Cool, we're just going to ice it," which meant they would just basically have one player above, not letting Brunson even use the ball screen. Then the player on the wing, who's already in position, just stand there, so he couldn't really go anywhere. Yeah, it kind of just like stagnated it on one side of the floor, and then you get to the second side, and you can kind of play. But it just it essentially makes the other players have to make some more plays. So uh, what you'll what I think we'll see more of is putting uh, Josh Hart and RJ on the wings or even like IQ on the wing and have them be the guys who just catch it and quickly get downhill and then try to make a decision from there. Uh, they had some success with that where you make a quick swing pass and, and even Randall at times, but yeah. he's not, he's not the preferred decision maker or the preferred driver I would have. I like him more like yeah. the high post elbows attacking those matchups and in, in those scenarios drawing to, you know, making the easy pass. But having like a, a player like, like quickly who can catch it and just get downhill real quick or Hart, who's a good downhill driver, I think those are two uh, easier tweaks where you can just make a quick pass when the attention's on Brunson and try to get them going downhill. But uh, there's no real good answer. It's just more of like uh, make shots. <laughs> like You make a three or two, they're going to get out of it and, yeah. and then try to, as best as you can, find the advantage for you. Maybe if Duncan Robinson's on one wing, put Randall in the corner, have him back him down or, or you know, Brunson attack that wing or something simple like that. But that's the point of the zone is even if you do that, there's usually a second guy around or available to, to, to help. So it's more about uh, making those plays when they did get multiple driving kicks. It looked really well. Um, I like Brunson had got a couple like relocate open threes that were really mm-hmm. good. Like one in the corner he hit was, was a big three. And so just getting more probing driving kick actions, which is again, kind of what the heat want you to do. Like they mm-hmm. want, they want you not to run a Brunson Randall ball screen or like have put Brunson in ISO or ball screen action. So they're kind of trying to get you out of your normal offense. But at the end of the day, if, if the Knicks offense, which I think it is patient enough, they'll get the open looks that they need to. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I
0: even wonder if like Hardenstein's a guy like on the short roll who, who can make plays and like he wasn't put in that position a ton all year. And like you don't really want him dribbling a ton, but he is, he's a really good passer. And like he didn't get credited with it, but had a couple of nice dishes that like with better shot making could have turned the baskets in this game. I also wonder like, I mean, I know this is something you just noted, but like if they try to get Randall the ball like in those situations, like on the elbow, not even necessarily to use him as like a decision maker because he had that one play. Like this was the start of the sequence where Hartenstein got eventually like the three offensive rebounds in a row. Mm -hmm. And it was like Randall with Kyle Lowry on him. You saw Randall like was way slower than you'd like because he caught it with eight seconds left on the shot clock, took about four seconds off, and then kind of like clicked for him, like, Oh, this is Kyle Lowry on me, and then just bullied him under the rim. And I wonder if you could tell Randall to just like kind of catch the ball and put his head down because like I thought on the whole of this game, like even if the decisions weren't quick, like he did, he played pretty unselfishly and sprayed the ball around and like particularly late in the game, but also early in the game, like he was able to draw like two, three defenders. And like, even if they came towards the end of the shot clock, get guys good shots. And I I guess the next thing I'm I'm really curious about is like what you think would be best for the Knicks from a personnel perspective, because I I think there's a balance to be had there, right? Because I mean, you mentioned RJ and Hart. And I think my concern is, like, with Jimmy coming back, like, Tibbs is going to do what he did game one and try to match um, Hart's minutes to Butler. But I thought it was crucial to have Quentin Grimes out there to provide a little bit more spacing. Obviously, he didn't shoot well. It was one for three from three. He didn't hit a two. But he's another guy, like, you you look at the regular season, like, Fred Katz had the stat that he led the NBA in blow-by rate. Like, he's very good attacking closeouts. Obviously, also the Knicks' best shooter. Dropped 23 points on the Heat with five threes the last game of the regular season, so there's proof of concept there um and I I guess I'm, I'm I'm just curious like like what do you think is the balance that Tom Thibodeau should go to in that wing rotation because I think at a certain point like the heater just gonna dare Harden Butler to make threes or not Harden Butler Harden Barrett to make threes and I almost thought like they might have been too aggressive closing out on those guys and like giving them drives and I, I wonder if Spolstra adjusts to that and says like at a certain point
1: like obviously RJ did it last game like let's see if those two can keep doing it Yeah, that's the the interesting part is the Heat are basically going to test those guys, Mm. right? Can you make an open three? Can you drive and make a good decision? Because their whole defensive philosophy, and I'm sure you've, I mean, everybody can see it, is basically like, you drive, we're just going to be there to help. Like, you're just not, they're not going to try to give up a lot of open looks at the rim or anything in the paint. And it doesn't mean they don't, but that's like, the like you watch a drive and there's usually two to three Miami Heat guys ready to be there to help the helper and then rotate from there. The uh, the interesting part is, I think Grimes provides uh, the mental spacing more than actual spacing right now. Right. So, like, what I mean by mental spacing is when you are like in in a game and you're a player and you're helping on a drive and then you get to close out to the corner. You if you see a guy like Grimes, you're gonna close out more. You know, have more attention on the close out than you would maybe Hart. Right. Hmm. And you saw them then they left Hart open twice in the fourth quarter. Last game, game two, yeah. and he made one, missed one. And then so it's and then, you know they did get offensive rebounds. but that was like the the idea was, yeah, like we're okay. We're fine with him beating us, but not, you know, Brunson or Randall, basically. Yep. And so I don't know if it's necessarily like a definite answer where it's like these players should be playing, you know, all together, and they, this should be your closing lineup because I think right. there is a little bit more than oh. just like, grimes is more of a threat than than quickly or like Hart is is more of a threat than grimes in this in this game yeah, I, I think situation. yeah yeah and, and so i think it's more of like you get a feel for how they're playing right i think Hart probably has to i mean i trust grimes on butler i, I don't think he's i don't think i don't think he would do any worse than Hart in my opinion like no Just from a defensive standpoint i think they're about even in terms of skill level and and i mean butler kind of gets what he wants to get anyways right like you can't put randall on him because he's gonna you know draw fouls and blow by him pretty quickly and you can't really put you know any other players on him because he's just gonna bully them so it's like Hart and grimes are the main in my opinion the main two it should be considered for guarding butler and then you just kind of help from there so uh, yeah, I think it's situational. I think it's it's a coaching feel in the moment where you kind of figure out who your best five are, which is a uh, it's a downside but also a luxury too, like where you can have a, a fifth or sixth option you know, and even uh, throw a heart and stain in there for you know Robinson or, or Randall, depending on the situation. You know you could have some flexibility and, and of who's closing or who should be uh, on the court together. But I think in my opinion, I would I would have Grimes and Hart out there together often and then just figure out brunson randall and, and robinson or whoever else is the other three
0: yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you and they, and they closed that way and it, w- it was interesting right because rj was in the midst of such a good game and i i didn't have any problem with it just because of like the collective defensive awareness of those guys you saw grimes had that great play at the end of the shot clock where like he sprinted over from the corner to knock that pass away from bam and i'm just saying like as good as rj's been in the like in the playoffs and as, as improved as he's been defensively like he, he's not making that play that grimes just made and i also i'd like to see them get to like iq grimes and brunson together because that was a lineup like in the regular season i think it was like plus 10 per 100 possessions really good group and against the zone in particular like the combination of i mean the shooting for for quickly I, I guess kind of kind of what you just said for grimes maybe it's only mental spacing right now like his shooting is very theoretical in in the playoffs but like the threat those two provide as shooters like and quick decision makers and and i think the benefits that quickly could have um from attacking a scrambling defense versus like the majority of his minutes now um coming against uh, um, opposing bench units with him being the primary ball handler. And I, I guess that's what I wanted to get your thoughts on next. Like, what do you think the Knicks can do to get him going? Um to I, I don't know if get Grimes going is the right term because like I think this this might just be who he is like in his first ever playoffs. And similar with Obi Toppin, who's been playing really well but as a backup just seems to lose his confidence a little bit. Um, so I guess the bench unit as a whole, but really quickly is kind of the main guy in that conversation for him is I, I think at some point he's going to have to be close to the player he was in the regular season for the Knicks to win this series and, and, and have a chance in the next round if they do. All right, guys, we're going to be back with Gibson one final time to discuss adjustments to Miami Heat might make heading into game three and finally get Gibson's prediction on the rest of the series. But first I wanted to remind you that this show is sponsored by better help. If you're thinking of starting therapy give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. I know on my end, I've benefited a lot from therapy. It It, it is just helpful to uh, show you how you're thinking and sometimes how your thought processes can be a little self-destructive and, and maybe to question them a little bit more and uh yeah just kind of kind of help you along through life so find more balance with better help visit betterhelp.com slash locked NBA today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help com slash locked on
1: yeah i think you know this sounds weird but like getting stops and getting out in transition or early offense is hmm. probably more important for uh those three in particular right if i sit on the court together yeah. um because you know you you get a transition layup. You see the ball go through the net. You, you you feel better, right? So like if all you're doing on offense like Grimes, who primarily is catch and shoot or attack a closeout, like it's hard to keep your rhythm, especially if you're not used to it, right? Like if you're not a uh, if you're not used to a playoff rhythm because you just don't touch the ball often if hands if it's in Brunson or, or Randall's hands uh, so much. So seeing the ball go through the net in transition really helps getting quickly out and OB out in transition. where they don't really have to make uh, a quicker decision. They can just play it fast and, and, and play without thinking really helps. But that's obviously easier said than done. Um, in the, in the half court, uh, I really liked some of the, uh, they went to a couple empty ball screens with OB p- uh, picking and popping. I think mm-hmm. he, uh, he attacked a closeout on Kevin Love one time and, and had a good pick and pop three one time. I like that action because it's hard to guard for the ball handler, but also allows uh, a simpler attack for OB to be able to get downhill uh, and, and make like a quick read instead of like a, a catch and shoot or a catch in the elbow and kind of look around it and decide what to do. It's yeah. just kind of him playing. I think that's his, his strong suit is just mm-hmm. getting it and going and, or, you know, catching and shooting a three off of, off a ball screen. Uh, he shouldn't take as many threes as he shot in game one, but that's a whole, whole different thing, thing that I, I would talk about. Um, but yeah, I think those are, are simple things that you can do to encourage them to just kind of play right. Like you're, where you're not, the heat make you think. And so the ways to beat that is to not think or, or find ways to get to that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And play with more flow. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to that point, I'm I, I I'm kind of, of the opinion that this is a series for Isaiah Hartenstein more than Mitchell Robinson, which feels weird because again, there there's a case to be made that Mitch was was the MVP of the round one series over the Cavs and I think the the single biggest factor there is that to me Mitch doesn't look 100% physically like the way he like the speed with which he was able to like guard one guy in the pick and roll and then and then close on the roller in the first round like just isn't there like he, he was beat to the rim by Strews. he was beat to the rim by Lowry in game two and then you watch Hartenstein and like I, I I took a bunch of notes on it just just on a rewatch and like the way he was he was blowing things up defensively like showing in the pick and roll and then recovering to Kevin Love, um, like guarding two, like in, in drop, like the offensive rebounding, to your point, like his intuitiveness um, on screens. And as a passer, like a- against a team that forces you to make quick decisions and considering that Miami is like more than happy to hack Mitchell Robinson rather than watch him junk the ball over and over again. I, I kind of think he's the better option, but what's your opinion on that? And then what do you think the balance is there for Tom Thibodeau in, in playing those two guys, given how good Robinson was in round one?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think Hartenstein's a good option against a guy like Kevin Love, like where if you like you're talking about, like him going out and get, guarding a ball screen and then recovering back to to a three point shooter. I think that's that's a, a very good move and something that should they should stick with. But uh, I still think Robinson is the better player mm. and and the better overall rim protector. And probably, I mean, I, I don't, offense is tough because they don't really use Hartenstein's skill set like he can get to like was playmaking where he can yeah, make they, they got passes. a lot better
0: at it the second half of the year but it's yeah still, it, was, it wasn't what he was on the clippers
1: yeah sure. it, it improved but i still don't think you know they're, they're gonna do that in the playoffs i guess is the right way to phrase that where like okay. that's not their go-to offense sure you know, for, for the second unit or even the primary unit mm-hmm. um so i think robinson still has uh more value in terms of what uh the Nick's ceiling is like i think you need him to be uh the the, the level he played in the first series, frankly. And uh, I think he can take the Knicks further than uh, Hartenstein-centered would. Uh, Just my personal opinion and just something that I think uh, going forward should be the focus. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have the option to where if, if a game calls for it and you need to close with Hartenstein, I think that that level of comfortability is nice, right? Like it's nice to have... Yeah. The the look of, like OK, maybe we use him in this scenario or, or maybe we go to Robinson versus, you know, you know, Bam's going off. Robinson's playing well. Keep him, you know, in, in the game or something like that. So I still think that the ceiling is Robinson. I think he provides a higher higher level than, than Hartenstein can. But uh, it's really cool to see Hartenstein do all of like the little things really well, right? Like not being uh, not having any any one particular thing that stands out sometimes is a negative but also like he doesn't do anything bad. So it's a positive because you're like, okay, well, he just, we know what to expect from him. Right. Where is yeah. we talk about like a ceiling where it's like, yeah, but what if he doesn't, what if Robinson doesn't play that level, you know? So, mm. yeah.
0: yeah. And I, and I still think I, I get the, the case for me for Mitch is that like, he, he didn't get to play a ton of minutes in game two. I'd like to see a full game of him, like getting to attack Kevin love on the glass with bam, not being on him and, and, and see if that can really change things for the next week. We saw like, Hardenstein dominate in that respect in the fourth quarter. And you got to imagine Mitch has a chance to be even more effective there. Um, how about, how about we wrap up on this? I, I kind of want to get the, the op perspective here. What do you think Miami's coaching staff is thinking after game two? Like, are, are they licking their chops to some extent and saying like, Hey, we almost, we, we probably should have won that game without Jimmy Butler. We beat him pretty cleanly when we had Jimmy Butler. Now we go into game three, he's going to be a hundred percent. We get the home crowd behind us. Like and 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 I guess what further adjustments are they trying to make to further capitalize on what worked in the first two games?
1: Yeah, I think I mean, I can say from a coaching perspective, you're never happy or satisfied with mm-hmm. with it. Like going, especially going in one one, like yeah. you know, the Heat would want to be like, no, we should be up to nothing, like even with or without Jimmy. Like they sure. they they probably have uh some anger and are upset that they didn't win that game, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um not saying that they deserve to win the game, but like it was there, right? Like they had, a, it was, you yeah. had a chance, you know, that, like the, the
0: ingredients, like the shooting they got yeah. from Gabe, when Gabe Vincent looked like Steph Curry for 20 minutes, you're like, all right, let's do this. Let, let's go. Right. From the game. Yeah. You
1: know, you're, you're on the road without your best player and you have that performance, you know, you definitely mm-hmm. are encouraged. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for anybody just to, like, as someone who just is observing mm-hmm. that the Knicks couldn't rattle off three more in a row, you know, like it's not, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I I probably would be like, man, that's weird for the heat, but like the heat were never really that this level, you know, like, like nobody expected them to be as good as they are currently. And so, you know, as as, from a Miami perspective, you're looking at as, okay, cool. We got game one. We're hopefully getting Jimmy healthy. I don't know if he will. I mean, ankle injuries suck and that looked rough. So like there could be some more extensive damage that we don't know about. And I mean, I I assume he's coming back to play because he's Jimmy Butler and he's, they're all, they're all tough out in Miami. So uh, I think the, the encouraging thing you take, you take the positives and and you try to basically say, okay, here's what the Knicks are going to try and do. I imagine it's going to be figuring out the blend of zone versus man, right? If, If Butler's, if Jimmy's playing, then it's going to be probably be like 50 50. It won't be 60 to 65 zone possessions again. I don't, I don't think Mm. um, because the Knicks did figure out some things later in the game where they're basically, you know, flipping the ball screen action around and, and getting ways for it to get Randall, you know, some touches and to figure out some things that worked against it. But at the end of the day, the zone worked and it will probably continue to work because of what the, the way they're doing it and the way the Knicks offense is designed, right. Where you, you, Feed off of a high ball stream from, from Brunson kind of let him go from there. So I, I would think that the staff is just considering like the positives that they can take away, but mainly the, the, the things that I think they would hit on would be would be how to create more for bam on the roll, right? Like how to get him more, uh, Cause what happens is that the pressure that the handoffs are creating with pulling like Hartenstein out of the paint or like, you know, Mitch Robinson at times who I thought did a good job contesting some of those threes mm. uh, being able to maybe have them take an extra dribble or two and string it out and finding bam on the roll, letting him play four on three or, or getting downhill. Cause a lot of his scoring opportunities aren't like easy. <laughs> like he's like, I haven't seen bam get like, I mean, he got like, he got the lob dunk last game and got like a, a keeper too, I think for easy layups, but like, like out of those, those are still more like him having to do it himself. Like, like he he's had to do a lot of self-creation against uh, like, like Hartenstein one-on-one, which frankly hasn't looked great. Like Hartenstein and Mitch Robinson did a good job containing yeah. him, corralling him. So uh, finding ways to maybe get him more open on, on the roll or open in space would, would, would be a, a good one for the heat. Um, and then f- basically, uh, the the way that the Knicks defend, um, I would I would expect the Heat to have more um, when they drive baseline to have more off ball action on a cut. So the way the Knicks Knicks defense is set up when they run like a spread ball screen. The two, you know, and you can watch the video and link the video if you want. It's easier to see on video than it is me explaining it here. But the two players opposite tend to suck in a little bit more on the roll man. So they tend to have almost a foot in the paint or a foot on the paint when the player rolls. So when the pass from the baseline to the corner, it's usually playing two on one on the weak side to look to get an open shot. And the Heat got some pretty good looks off of that action. But the one thing that was open that I didn't see a ton of is is when that player drives baseline, the player on the opposite wing can cut into space and have a little floater or layup because the Knicks are rotating so quickly out of that. It would it might catch them off guard. And the Heat are a pretty good off ball cutting team, so that wouldn't be hard for them to add. But more just like like a player like uh, like Highsmith, right? heywood Highsmith, who isn't yeah. a, uh, a necessarily a three point threat him cutting into that space may open up more opportunities for the heat than it would him spacing and trying to catch and shoot threes. So just things like that where they're not like major you know adjustments or not they're anything crazy. Um, I thought they did um, a couple of ball screens for Bam that opened up like Streuss got a pick and pop three that he missed when he set a ball screen for Bam uh, Lowry set one for Bam that they went the other direction and got a hand off three off of. so things like that where, you're having Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson in different scenarios where they're having to uh, be the ball screen uh, handler defender, right? They have to navigate a screen, go under or, or over depending on how they, they handle it. Just in the flow is, is hard to do. So I think adding a couple more of those. But ultimately, you want to get Jimmy Butler back. And if you get Butler back, you kind of stick with the same game plan of, of game one, right? Yeah. He's, he's the guy. You screen for him, mix in some zone with the bench units especially. I think you'll see pretty much every second and fourth quarter, you'll see a zone to start in an after-timeout timeout situation. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the Knicks are a little more prepared with a little more sets. They, they ran their normal man sets against the zone. Um, so I expect maybe with like the two or three days off here, them to kind of come up with maybe one or two clever after-timeouts, maybe a lob play for Obi or something. Um, that may open up against the zone but I, I think that's more of what we'd see overall
0: yeah I, I think I think it's a great point about like putting Mitch and Hardenstein in, in the action because we we saw points where like I mean there's one where Mitch was in drop on Duncan Robinson I was like and then it ended up going in and out but I was like oh you can't do that um, but then even if Mitch comes up in those situations to your point then like you, you get it to bam and he's playing four on three and if you're the Knicks you're relying on Julius Randle to like rotate And that can get you into a lot of trouble Because if you watch the first quarter of this game, even, I mean, even, even in the fourth quarter, like right after he stepped over the baseline, like he was uh, inexplicably the one tasked with guarding Duncan Robinson instead of just guarding the inbound and having Josh Hart on him. And and Duncan got that wide open three that cut it to three. And, and every Knicks fan in America was, was throwing up somewhere and being like, Oh no, not this, not again. Um, But then in the first quarter, it was arguably worse. And it wasn't Miami really doing anything super complicated. It was just like simple, Typical stuff and Julius maybe just a little rusty after not playing for a few days like a little out of it. Um, but this is this is just what Randall does defensively. Sometimes like he spaces out and guys get wide open threes in the Knicks. I mean, they were lucky. This wasn't Randall, but like in the first game, the Heat missed a bunch of open threes early. The Heat made a lot of threes in this game, but also missed some ones that could go in at home. Um, and I would if I were Miami, I would just keep trying to take advantage of him. Um, and it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with ability. Like I think Randall's great in a switch situation. We talked about it last time you were on, um, but off ball, like he, he just has a tendency to fall asleep, but it, it gives it all. We can, we can end on this. I'm like, what, what, what's your prediction for the rest of the series? How do you, how do you think it ends up?
1: Oh man. I, you know, it's cause there's unknown with Butler's yeah. injury. So it's like, you kind of look yeah. at it two ways. So like, I think, you know, if Butler plays, I still think it's probably Knicks in, in six, maybe seven. Okay. Um, I don't it makes me very uncomfortable watching the Knicks defense kind of struggle with the motion stuff, the heat run, like not necessarily like, like game one where it was more designed around, you know, Butler and, and his offense at times, but like their core with bam at, at the five and having the shooters, you know, hand off and, and screen away and stuff like that. There was, it just wasn't Um, it's like when you watch teams guard the warriors and like, there's just a lack of focus. There's just like, not like a, A kid like with like Julius Randle should not be falling asleep in the playoffs. Like this is not the time, you know, to do if it's a Tuesday night in March, fair enough. Like like I like I get it. There's 82 games, it's a long season. But like it's it's do or die time now. Like every position, every possession matters. And so like not being having that focus is, is sort of like I don't like that, but I think if Butler doesn't play, I think it's probably five or six. I think for the Knicks, if it's if he plays, I think the Heat can steal one more or two more and maybe push it to seven. But um, I, I think the Knicks have played have not played their best game yet, and yeah. I think that's encouraging, right? I think that's that's the positive from this.
0: All right, that is a happy note to end on. So we'll <laughs> there. Uh, Gibson, thank you so much for joining me. Before I let you go, can you tell everyone one final time where they can find? all your great work, uh, breaking down the NBA and, and college basketball.
1: Yeah. The, uh, primary way is half court hoops on Twitter where I, you know, I tweet a lot during games and, uh, and post all the links, all breakdowns I do. And then I have the link tree for everything else you need to find. So half court hoops on, on uh, YouTube half court hoops, Substack, And then I have all of, I create, you know, basketball playbooks and a lot of resources for coaches and fans who want to learn more all under the link tree under half court hoops. That's like the easiest way to, to, to find everything.
0: Yeah, If this podcast didn't make it clear enough, uh, you, will, you will get smarter about basketball <laughs> following Gibson. Simply put, Gibson, thank you so much, man. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we will be back with a Game 6 recap and also um, Alex Wolf uh, joining the guys over at Locked on Heats for some final thoughts before Game 3. Um, that next time on Locked on Knicks.